Aloha Nui Loa. I am feeling like Superman's daughter today. Wait, I'm wearing headphones and I don't need to. <laughs> A silly Superman's daughter. It is, I, the how our house tonight is buzzing. Keone is in his room recording some songs. Todd's on the other side of the house in his studio and he's, I can hear him, not from here, but when I went downstairs, I can hear him recording the show that he's going to do for you. Now, a lot of it's live, but he has little segments. In fact, yesterday, this is always ha what happens. He gets an idea in his head, and then when he's ready, he just wants to go. And, it, <laughs> and, and he needed my help to help set up a little segment in the kitchen. He had the, he, oh yeah, he always needs stuff. I love that about him, that he plans it in his head, but then the logistics just always work out like a miracle because so many people around him, like Mary Lou, like Cheryl, like his band, they just wave their magic wands and help his crazy dreams happen. So I looked at his shot yesterday that he was shooting in the kitchen. I'm like, you can't shoot that. There's gecko poop over there. There's rotten potatoes in the shot. Look at the cobwebs above. Good wait. So, uh, <laughs> I was, but he's like a little kid. Uh, he was so excited. So I fixed it all. It made him go away, and I fixed up his shot. Even like sanding the counter because uh, the butcher block counter had like little black marks from where pans were on it. So. I got it all nice for him and you guys. <laughs> and then he wanted to make sure nobody was in the house when he did it, which is, you know, I've seen him do stuff, but okay, fine. We're all going to leave. He is having so much fun. He is super excited. And it's, uh, I don't think it's because, like, he's finally excited to perform or anything. He's excited to do stuff with, with you guys out there. And because he is so excited... Uh, it makes me really happy. So, on with our Father's Day and other day stories. Uh, I love it that it's a mix of what we talked about in the past and what we decided to talk about today. Father's Day, there's a little Mother's Day in there. There are some favorite songs and explanations in there. There's a great recording by Mike Bender. I'm going to save his for right near the end. Just uh, many, many, many of us know Mike Bender, Michael. And uh, so he's got a great, well, we probably know his story too, but to hear him tell the whole thing is really sweet. And to hear you guys record and tell your stories means a lot to me. But before we're going to get started, I keep forgetting to open these little messages from, from Murph. Murph, who um, did Utopia Times for many, many years, is gone now, but so many of us think of her. And she sends, she always sent little presents that were homemade. So this is a tiny jar of rolled up messages, and even the messages have little glitter on the ends of them. And it says instructions, and the instruction looks, she made a little jar just like the big jar. <laughs> well, the big jar is only four inches tall, but her instructions, open, choose, unroll, read, manifest. I am a manifester. So 
I'm going to manifest this for all of us. Okay, choose a little scroll thing. Whoops, <laughs> knocked over, and I'm going to open it. <laughs> I wonder if I if I put this one back in there. I'll, I'll I'll do two then. My wish is that you take every opportunity to become who you want to be inside and out. I think I've read that before, and I rolled it up because I don't ever want to throw these away. Okay, I'm going to do a different one. I'm going to find a different jar for the ones I already read. Okay, unrolling. And this is this Murphism is. My wish is that you realize it's natural to be vulnerable sometimes for you and everyone else. <laughs> that just that brings happy tears to my eyes because you know she's gone, but she's still here because a lot of your stories that you sent were very vulnerable. And um, I, I like that we can get together like this and just be so be so real and raw and happy and sad and everything. And I am gonna play um, Carolyn's recording first. So I'm gonna ask my producer Joey Ray to we all know Carolyn Sidall from England. Did you guys know that she had that amazing voice? I did not realize that. I mean she I could hear her singing you know, at Todd's Docks, but I had no idea she could, like, whip that up. She's not singing this time, but she's telling a great story. Okay, Joy, will you play Carolyn Siddall's story about her father? It's me again. <laughs> it's Carolyn. Um, I'm going to say something about memories of my dad, because it is a huge thing for me. Okay, so mine is a very specific memory of my dad. And it was Sunday, 4th of April, 1964. Um, he was a long-distance lorry driver and he'd set off for a journey about 300 miles away in his huge long truck, which seemed to fill the street to me as a little kid. Um, this morning, he'd forgotten his sort of driving papers and I remember that me and my brother and mum walked a few streets away to tell the secretary of his company and if it was important or okay. And remember, this is way back when there'd been no cars on the road, um, Sunday morning, you know, not like it would be now anyway. So Sunday then passed, as it usually did. And then late afternoon, um, there was a knock at the door, probably around 5pm, I think. I answered it. And there were two policemen there. So it was quite exciting, to be honest, at first. Can we speak to your mummy? I went to get her and then I heard a scream. And, oh my God, no, no, no. My brother and I were bundled up and into the police car. Again, quite exciting at first. And driven to my nearby nana a couple of streets away unaware of what was happening but obviously something strange was going on um we were a very working class family in northeast industrial area um england and our relatives were all local so pretty soon uncles aunts cousins began to appear 
And I soon picked up and understood that my gorgeous, handsome daddy had been killed in a road accident 200 miles away. So life stood still for me that day and would never be the same again and affect me right up to the present very much. My dad was gorgeous. He was like Elvis in the army days, six foot two, dark, handsome. And my beautiful mum was like Marilyn. And they were known as one of the town's best looking couples. But beautiful people as well as looking. So he was 34 years old, leaving my darling mum alone with two little kids to bring myself age seven and brother aged five. So absolutely life-changing and no real, real deep memories of my dad other than an impression of, um, you know, I really, really loved him and I was loved. And as I say, affected me right to the present. I've never married or trusted enough, you know, anybody to settle down. But for seven very short years... I was loved and adored by someone, and I was daddy's girl. Carolyn, that is um, a sad and beautiful story. And I love that you have memories of your dad that were great. The reason I wanted to play that first is because many of us have lost our parents or parents, or we're going to. It just will happen to all of us. And you had to lose yours at such a young age. It just made me realize how how grateful I am and how grateful we all should be at the dads or the moms or whomever was in your life that um, that helped your life along, that brought you joy and love. Thank you, Carolyn. That was really beautiful. Now here's another story. Not about a dad. This is from Ray Plassey. Hi, Michelle. While Love is the Answer may be my favorite song, Just One Victory is his most meaningful song for me. What makes Todd my favorite musical artist are the words in his song, unlike other artists. Actually, they're meaningful to me. In my mid-twenties, I was struggling to find myself emotionally, relationship-wise, and job-wise. Just One Victory spoke to me in a very powerful and encouraging way that my life would eventually move into a more positive and fulfilling way, and it did. Now, every time I hear victory, it makes me think back to that lonely time and to how much better my life became. Many of his songs, Mated, Love is the Answer, Fade Away, have personal meanings to me. Through his music, he will always be a meaningful part of my life. You could say he opened my eyes. <laughs> Later, Ray. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. That's, that's very cool. And Ray, I'm, you may have read in the news, Todd and Holland Oates and I think Questlove, a couple, a couple people have contributed to re-record Just One Victory. And they're going to give it to the Democratic National Committee and let all Democrats all over America use it for free for their campaign. So hopefully we're all going to be hearing that a lot. Just one victory. 
and we're on our way. Oh. <laughs> All right. We're going to, uh, let's see. So I'm going to make a little ding here with, with the Murph, uh, Murph bottle. Amy. And I love her, her uh, <laughs> your email. Amy TRI, TRI girl. <laughs> Fly girl. Amy says, I'm loving your podcast. Thanks for sharing it with us. I live in Minneapolis, which you know has been the epicenter of such sadness and craziness. Hopefully you're right. This will lead the world to positive changes. I've also been able to see the Intoxicats at Psycho Susie several times. Hello, girl. Love them and can't wait until live music is open to us all again. Yes, yes, yes. My hubby and I were going to see Todd in Chicago last May and also look forward to seeing him there in Minneapolis when we can. You asked what my favorite Todd song is? So hard to answer, but I do lean towards parallel lines and just one victory. But the song I fell in love with was It Wouldn't Have Made Any Difference. I was going through a tough breakup, and that song was a godsend. One last thing. I saw a nearly human tour in Chicago. At that show, you and Todd were making googly eyes all during the show. <laughs> He'd look back at you, and you would grin ear to ear back at him. It was fun to see you two falling in love. Anyway, thanks for the podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Amy, Amy Bosch. Well, Amy, I would love to say that, yeah, we just had, like, googly eyes for each other, but I think, I think really what was happening is Todd was having such a great time. In that show, singing those songs with that band, playing their ass off. So when he was looking back at me, it wasn't to say, I love you. It was to look at me and sort, sort of like, are you, can you believe, can you believe this is happening to us? This is so amazing. And my smile back was, can you believe it? I can't believe we get to do this. And, and we love those people out there. And they're having as good a time as we are. And because you, the audience, have such a good time, it just... It's it's like feeding, we're the little birds and you're feeding us and we're just like, ah, tripping all over. That's a really dumb analogy, but that's what came to my mind. <laughs> came to my mind. Okay, Kate, I think it's called, is it Dame Stoy? I hope I got that right, Kate. After living 40 years living parallel lines, my husband and I came together 10 years ago. Knowing each other through childhood as well. Amazing how life works. Your podcast should be called, maybe, Funny How Life Works Out, Kate. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's, it's funny how life works out, Kate. I'm not renaming it, but that was good. <laughs> then Jill Gregg. Jill Gregg's uh, note was, I listened to your podcast for the first time this morning and then binged listening to all. I don't have a question, but I enjoyed your story about fidelity. It has always been one of my favorite Todd songs, maybe my very favorite, and Love is the Answer. But you don't hear that often. It is such a beautiful melody, and the harmonies are the best. Having had some painful experiences with infidelity, the chorus makes me feel so much better. If there's one sacred place always in your heart for me, doesn't take all of the sting away, but help me move on. Just wanted to comment how much I love the song. No need to reply. I'm hooked on your podcast now. Aw, thanks, Jill. No, I see, I love that 
you're sharing your feelings and everybody's sharing their feelings. That's, uh, that I think it connects us better, especially now we're all like locked away from each other. And this really brings us, it brings us closer. <laughs> all right. Steve Matthewson. <laughs> you say, uh, I personally know you have tremendous work ethic and have worked with you on a couple things, but who or what do you contribute your work ethic to? Oh, I've always seen you juggling many projects at the same time and I'm, am impressed that you keep your cool during the process. P.S. We'll be back on Kauai first chance we get. Good. Thank you and Julie. Good. Thanks for the podcast. Um, I, I think I, I drew the birth lottery. Meaning, or, or if I didn't draw the birth lottery, I think because my great-grandparents, grandparents, and parents told stories about where we came from, the strength of where we came from, that that just, that's part of, besides watching them all, I mean, my great-grandfather was, um, worked on the railroads and his job was to when the train stopped go out shoot the whatever he could find shoot the game shoot the deer dress it on the train and and that was what was served for dinner that night so i was led to believe that that was you know they told the story of all that he did um my great grandma uh, was in my life and she seemed to be very, very wise. She didn't speak often, and when she did, it was very gentle and and wise. My grandmother, the same thing. Um, one of my, my mom's mom was more like kind of crazy like like I am, and she just laughed and joked all the time, and I think I told you I wore her clothes. She was so hip. We were the same size. Um, so she was a little bit of the the, the wild crazy, but always sane and then my dad's mom was the caretaker and also an uh a telephone operator when women weren't supposed to work she went to work every single day well five days a week and took care of her two kids she had her own money and when it came time i, I may have even told you to buy a beach house in oregon they already had their home in hillsborough oregon but she wanted a, this cabin on the beach, and her husband, my grandpa, said, "No, no, don't do that. Don't, don't waste your money like that." Well, it was her money, so she did it, <laughs> and uh, she took care of my grandpa so well. And he was crabby often, but he worked his ass off as an electrician. And if a, if somebody couldn't pay, he just did it for free, especially if they'd lost a husband in the war or something. Um, he was always giving his gifts away, and it, which was being an electrician. So everybody in my family, including my parents, worked their asses off and had tons of projects going. I mean, my mom would, you know, get up in the morning, make us breakfast, go to sc teach school, come home, make dinner, correct the papers, then the laundry, then the ironing, put us to bed, read us a story, sing, and... Uh, I don't know, just couldn't believe how much... Be, having been a mom, I don't know how she did that. <laughs> I don't know how she did that. So that's my work ethic. And seeing my parents do 
lots and lots of different things at the same time. Uh, having my circus coach and uh, my music teacher be overachievers, those are stories for another day. But I am a product of being in the right place at the right time and having amazing family and mentors. Say hi to Julie for me. Thanks, Steve. Now, Woody, I almost started with your letter because I loved it. Okay, so Woody says, Hi, Michelle. Thanks for making me tear up with your story. Fidelity is absolutely one of my favorite songs, lyrically and musically, and I've often thought deeply about what he was saying. Your honesty and vulnerable position you put yourself in makes me love you even more. Ah, thanks. <laughs> Art is supposedly subjective, eye of the beholder and all that, but it was certainly heartwarming and wrenching hearing the real beautiful story. I imagine that many songs on Nearly Human are inspired by Queen, and perhaps that's why it is many of the fans' favorite album. I gotta tell you, Woody, I have never heard that before. <laughs> and I I don't... I, I can't refute that, but I don't think so. I think that the Todd and Freddie were just in that same era and really good musicians, and really good musicians write really beautiful things. Um, Woody says, I've been a queen. Um, oh, I've been a queen, Michelle fan, <laughs> since I heard your interview on Rengren Radio and you told the story of Parallel Lines. My favorite Todd song since then, now I say it's my favorite Todd and Michelle song. Ah! Oh, that's so cool. Um, he says, I'm very interested in more of this kind of true storytelling. Maybe Waiting Game has a similar story? Ah. Hmm. He, you know, I'm going to read the rest of your letter and then tell those two stories. Todd, the Todd song that changed my life was Pretending to Care. That song was released off of acapella and paralleled the end of my first real relationship, love, and all that mushy shit was gone. Without that song, I'd never know that someone felt the same. And then Hoja would start playing right after that, and I'd feel better right away. <laughs> Maybe it was Hoja that changed my life. <laughs> Big hug, Superman's daughter. Ah, thanks, Chris. Chris Suriello. Oh, and he says, P.S. I hope it's safe to say I'm looking forward to hearing your stories that may or may not rip up BB. <laughs> He says, I'm not a guy that roots for negativity, but I can't help feeling that way towards that particular subject. Oh, you and I and Todd have very, very similar feelings. I don't think I'm going to be telling any beady stories, um, except the one that I told on Fidelity. And mostly because uh, I adore Liv so much, and she's in our life, and... She know she's very aware of who her mom is, and she has her own love and problems with her mom. So, if it's okay, I'm going to skip the BB stories, but I'll tell you the waiting game story. Now, remember, Todd doesn't always tell exactly what it was about because he says it's never about anybody. It just you know he just has an idea and then he goes with it. Well, sort of true. I think I know that when something really affects him, that becomes a kernel of a story. And then he doesn't write literally what happened to him, um, but he goes into that feeling. So 
we were both in Woodstock and we were sleeping in the big waterbed and uh, as there were only two warm places in the house in the waterbed and then also in the library in the winter the, there was no heating in the house it was supposed to be a summer place so we're in bed and he woke up and he goes don't he looked at me and said don't say anything he said i dreamt a story and it has all these layers and it intertwines and i'm gonna and the whole he kept repeating don't say anything he goes so i'm going to try to remember it all i'm going to go down to the studio and i'll probably see in it tonight or in a day or two and so he went down to the studio and in one long long day i think i saw he didn't come up to eat anything all day all night and he finished it and when he came up after he finished laying down all those, not the musical tracks, I don't know what parts he wrote, but it was probably lyrics. Who knows, maybe it was, I should ask him that, if he wrote the lyrics or if he wrote the music. But he said he heard all the layers all at once in his dream while he was asleep. So he came up and said he thinks he got most of it down. And it's a really hard song to sing because of all those different layers. And other people in the in the band are singing other parts, a totally opposite of what you're singing. It's not like you're all singing the same words but different notes. You're all singing different notes, and you're all singing different words. It was pretty fun to sing, but easy to get it wrong. Then, the song that changed your life pertaining to care... That was already recorded when I met Todd and when I um, became a background singer for his a cappella tour, we all went to Woodstock to the studio and together he taught us all those songs that he had written uh, before, I believe, yeah, he'd written those before the Tubes and, and Utopia toured. I'll have to ask him if I'm right, but I just can't imagine that he could write those in that short amount of time before the Tubes tour ended and acapella started. But I... Mm, I, you know how much I love being... Oh, if you heard that, that's a gecko. We have geckos all over our house. I love being so much because she gave me my two kids and she you know, was a, was so gracious about Todd and I developing a relationship and, and asked me to move in, and it just went from there. But I think it was, Todd was really heartbroken that she did not seem to, she, I'm, I'm telling you my own thoughts, not his. I think Pretending to Care was written about his heartbreak over Bean. And Mated was also written about a beautiful thing. When Bean's parents were giving her shit for not being legally married yet still having a second child with him. And they are they were really crazy and really yeah, they threatened to kill me once. So they were their pressure on their daughter was so great and I think he wrote that for her to let her know it's okay. It's okay. It, it, we're mated. And I think it's one of... It's not written about me. It's written about being... I think it's one of the most beautiful love songs 
I've ever heard. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Who says that? Who says that line? I forget, but it, I like it. <laughs> okay. Oh, Doran Brennan. Questions. Okay, so regarding some pretty big arguments between you and your boyfriend, what exactly caused the dispute at Full Moon Bingo Games some of us were witness to? I believe you walked out with the bingo balls with your boyfriend to follow. When you came back, you said it was your first fight in three years. Never thought a geriatric game could get so heated. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Was that wild? See, I thought he would go with it. I thought he would go with the antics, but he got really mad at me, and he never gets mad at me. Okay, so if you weren't at full moon, we were playing bingo, and Todd's very competitive. The winning team was going to get this big watermelon filled with vodka to share. And near the end of the game... One team was winning, and they were definitely going to get the watermelon with the vodka in it. And anyone can tell you, at the end of the game, he changed the rules. He just all of a sudden changed the rules. And I am, I am fair. I am all about fair. My mama said there's a right and a wrong way to do stuff, and that's it. And so I was like, so I thought, well, no, this can't end this way. People were getting pissed, too. You could tell the people that were winning, and then suddenly... Boss man rips out the win and is making up rules as it goes along, which he doesn't normally do. This is really freaking me out. So I thought, no, there's got to be a comedy exit to this. So I grabbed the watermelon and I left. I don't think I grabbed the bingo stuff, did I? I know I grabbed the watermelon. And I took some people with me and we raced out of the tent. And I just could not believe he got really, really pissed at me. So I tried to, again, make it a game. I brought the watermelon back, and the game kind of finally ended. I'm not even sure how, because I was trying to act my way out of making sure no one knew that we had a fight. But I guess Doran knew. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Amy Bosch. Hi, Michelle. I'm loving your podcast. Thanks for sharing it with us. I live in Minneapolis, which you know has been the epicenter of such sadness and craziness. Hope you're all right. This will lead... Oh, I hope you are right that this will lead the world to positive changes. I hope I'm right too, Amy. I've also been able to see the Intoxicats at Psycho Susie several times. Woohoo! Love them and can't wait until live music is open to us all again. Yes, yes, yes. My hubby and I were going to see Todd in Chicago last May and also look forward to seeing him there or Minneapolis when we can. You asked for my favorite Todd song. So hard to answer, but I do lean towards Parallel Lines and Just One Victory. Oh, wait, I already read this one. Oh, see, I liked it so much, Amy. I printed it again. <laughs> ah. uh, see, I only had one beer. should have had more. All right, Thomas from Ashland, Oregon. Aloha, Michelle. I love your pad podcast. I've been listening to all the episodes at work. What? What do you do for work, Thomas? Fantastic. I'm catching fantastic. I'm catching up listening to the Mother's Day one first. The story about your Superman dad brought me to tears. Aww. I thought, okay, I have to get a Father's Day story. As I own my own business, custom picture framing shop, and art gallery, 
So I can listen to anything I want all day. Okay, good. I'm not worried about you then. Oh, as loud as I want. Cool. The more I listen to your episodes, the more stories of my own that I'm thinking of. I have a word doc going to collect my ideas. Yes, that's exactly, exactly what I'm hoping that this does. Because we all have stories. And I want to hear everybody's. He says, so far I've got a Father's Day story. How my guitar came into my life. Too cool to be true, but it's true. First records. First concert. My mom. Art school in San Francisco. Todd lived next door for a short time. And best of all, I'm getting back to you soon. <laughs> hey, yeah, actually that house on Chestnut Street. You went to school on Chestnut Street in San Francisco. And Todd and I picked that ha house out. We, um, When we decided to be together, he wanted to move to the, east, the West Coast. And I, I think I told you last week, I moved down to... Um, Los Angeles. So we went to San Francisco because we thought Bean would really like that. And that, and I love San Francisco, and Todd does. So we picked out this amazing heart, uh, house right next to where you went to school. The arts, uh, art school. I forgot what it was called, though. Um, I think Prairie went there, too, at one point. But Bean had some friends <laughs> who... Who were uh, she was just getting into the like the gay community in Sa of San Francisco, the lesbian community, and she had some friends that were super freaking wild, and uh, they finally got kicked out of that house when one of the girls climbed up the outside of the house, like three stories up or something, banging on all the doors and windows, trying to get Bean to let her in. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, her lesbian friends in San Francisco were the, kind of the dykes with bikes. Uh, and there are a lot of really amazing dykes with bikes that have great jobs, that have, uh, are really smart. And Bean always picked the wildest ones, the ones who were trouble. Until Sasha. Sasha was amazing. <laughs> uh, I think Marilyn uh, ran somebody over in our car once. Um, yeah. There were some girls that like raced in with motorcycles or something into our living room. Todd was gone and uh, knocked over a tent that I'd built for the boys to, to camp out in the living room. I had to drag them both upstairs. My mother was visiting when the police came and tried to break up the fights that were happening in the living room. So I called Todd at his hotel and uh, you know, mentioned that uh, the kids had been hurt, but they're fine. Uh, they're in my room. The girls are banging on the door. To have the kids come out. They're fist fights. The cops are here. And Todd said, I'm not there, so I can't make a judgment. <laughs> I think I hung up. After going, what? Click. I handled it. My mom, when she left um, a couple days later, she's like, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, God, I'm so sorry, Mom, but this doesn't happen every day. It happened every month, but... <laughs> we had some wild times in that house, which I will tell stories about. Uh, so, good. Thomas, pick some of those damn things. I want to know what your first records were, your first concerts. Just because we did it doesn't mean it's not entertaining. It's entertaining. Send them. Come on. Quit keeping those stories to yourself. 
<laughs> you Oregonian? You know I'm an Oregonian, right? All right. Uh, Eric Lund um, sent me a personal note first before I read his stuff. But um, Eric, I am so happy that Caroline is fine and that she's in med school. Med school, no less. Oh, my God. That's pretty amazing. I'm sure you're extremely proud of her. I, so here's Eric's, uh, Eric's little note to me. Anyway, I jumped into your podcast for the first time last night on number six. You know, that's you, nobody listens from the beginning? Okay. Wow, it was like a TED Talk that I couldn't stop listening to. Woohoo! <laughs> so now I'm making my way through and listening to the others from the beginning. By the way, Bill Bricker is a friend and lives a few miles away here in Charlottesville. I messaged him this morning about your shout-out to him in the podcast. He was touched, and you're right. He said it was a life-changing moment in his life. Aw. The real reason I'm sending this note. What I really liked best about Todd's book was the format. For years, I kept talking about wanting to write down my life for my kids and was always overwhelmed on where to start, what to include. As soon as I read The Individualist, it went off like a light bulb that I could do this thing. I spent 2019 writing it. Oh my God, Eric, that is so cool. Oh, I wouldn't expect you'd find it interesting, though I've had some interesting adventures in business, TV, radio, and publishing, but I did salute Todd in the prologue as my inspiration. Oh, very cool, Eric. Most importantly, my four kids now know a bit more of their family story, and it's here at ericlund.com. So we're going to read that, Eric. He, sa- he ends by saying, keep on shining. So if you want to read some of Eric's stuff too, because he put it out there for us, www.ericblund.com. So obviously Eric with a then middle initial B, then Lund, L-U-N-D.com. You know, that that's great that you did that. I think we can all do that because I love... You know, when uh, Steve Matthewson asked me that question, how did I get my work ethic and do all these projects because of family stories? In fact, I think that's why I've stayed so healthy my whole life because of brainwashing. Mom saying, we're Scandinavians. We don't get sick. Come on, get up. Let's go to school. (laughs) Different time now, but um, yep. So everybody could take a little... um, a little page off of Todd's book. <laughs> and, yeah, start one page at a time. I agree, Eric. I did. I thought writing a book was too overwhelming. That's why I'm doing the podcast, to avoid writing a book. Pretty soon I'm going to try to uh, make what we're doing a bigger thing. Um, maybe, yeah, make it a, a bigger thing than just podcast reading to you. Do a little video and all that fun stuff. And I thought about it before Todd's webcast. (laughs) I'm going to read a story that is not about a dad, but it's a story from a dad. It's a story about him being a proud dad. And, uh... Well, I guess I'll tell you who who he's writing about. You're familiar with, with that character, McLovin? Yeah, the, the actor that plays McLovin is Chris Mintz-Plasse. His mom and dad are Ellen and Ray. 
and I know them both. And uh, I've met Chris many times. What a great kid. So this is Ray's story about being a proud dad. He didn't say that I did. Hi, Michelle. We really didn't know until it happened. While he was always a ham and enjoyed acting, he never really considered it as a possibility. Then it all unexpectedly fell into place. One day, two of his friends were going to an audition for some movie. Super bad. And they asked him if he wanted to come with them, and he said, meh, sure. So he tries out, and surprise, surprise, he gets a call back. My wife takes him to that, oh, my wife takes him to that, and he has a great time, and he gets a signed copy, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. My wife knows he won't get called back, and I say to her, you don't know that. A short time later, he does get another call back. It's him and three other kids. I extrapolate, or guess, that it's between him and one other kid. Little did I know, it was always him. Shortly on a Saturday afternoon, we got a call from a woman asking to speak to Chris. The director, Greg Matola, would like to speak to him, and I give her Chris's cell number. He's at the gym with his brother. The rest is history. We did take him to a meeting with Seth, Evan, and Judd Apatow at Judd's home, and when he came out, Seth tells me Chris is fucking hilarious. That didn't really sound like uh, Seth, but... Soon, there was an industry buzz about the movie well before its release, and then we really knew. I can tell you a few more little tidbits later. Hope you enjoyed this story, Michelle. Later, Ray. <laughs> I did. I love that movie. Everybody loved that movie. <laughs> uh, and Chris, you guys, you and Ellen did a good job, Ray. Chris is a really nice human being. All right, Rebecca Shoot writes, Great tiki-niki show last night. Ah, thanks, Rebecca. So if you're just tuning in, we have a, a Tiki and Niki is my tiki bar and restaurant on Kauai. And we have every Friday at 4.20, we have Tiki and Niki show. Uh, it's a little video podcast and we teach you how to make our drinks. And this week, this week, we're going to do another live podcast a half hour after that one. We're going to go to the lava room. It's a little section of Tiki Niki. And we're going to tell, it's around, there are probably four or five, maybe six of us. We're going to tell our first time we get drunk stories. And who knows, they might bomb. Maybe you could tell us the first time you get drunk stories. If they're funny, I'll read them. But since it's not about us as a tribe, uh, or Todd Music, or, well, if it's funny, I'm going to read it. So, go ahead. We'll add that to the list. Frank. Uh, drunk stories. Remember, the list goes on. What are your favorite songs and why? What was your favorite concert? What'd you do? Who'd you see? What? How did you feel? You can't just tell me facts. You gotta give me feelings. <laughs> oh, and Rebecca always says she's interested in renting the Intoxicats hat house when they come to Kauai. How can I get more info? Oh, you know what? I will find out, Rebecca. I, I will mention that on the podcast for Tiki and Niki and then the next podcast here because uh, Rick and Amy are asleep in Minneapolis right now. It's, uh, I don't even know what time it is on Kauai. 
But uh, I will ask them in the morning. And next podcast for Tiki Niki, I'll mention, because it is, if you guys come to Kauai, it's a really good group house, too. It's um, definitely built for parties. You're close to Queen's Bath. You can walk to the golf course. You can walk to Bali High Restaurant. You can walk to Tiki Niki. Uh, actually, you should drive to Tiki Niki and then stumble home. Or, walk, no, walk to Tiki Niki and then take a cab home after your very strong Mai Tais. <laughs> uh, let's see. Now, I'm going to tell, um, I'm going to read Kathy Coffey's dad's stories. And then I'm going to tell my Kathy Coffey story. So Kathy Coffey says, first, loving your podcast. Here are some of my dad memories. As you know, my dad died when I was 13, but I have some great memories. When my parents split up, it was dad weekend. He would take us on adventures. We lived in Cincinnati, so a trip to Mammoth Caves in Kentucky was on the list. As we drove closer to the caves, we needed a motel, and I spotted Wigwam Village, which was a group of concrete wigwams set up as a moat. What? Oh, I set up as a motel. <laughs> concrete wigwams <laughs> oh she says so tacky but that's what we wanted so dad checked us in the caves tour was fantastic but made even better with a tacky cement motel stay <laughs> another story that touches my heart my dad used to travel for business and we kids were envious of his airplane flights we had never been on a plane so one saturday he took us to Lunken Airport in Cincinnati and rented a small plane for me and my brothers. The pilot took us up, up, up and away for a trip around the Ohio River and the surroundings. I'll never forget it. Thanks, Michelle, for bringing back these memory stories. Ah, you bet, Kathy. I love you. So I'll tell you my Kathy Coffee story. She's like going, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> well, for one, I introduced her to her husband. Uh, I knew Mike for uh, a long time uh, when I was in the tubes. He was at all the shows, really super nice guy, funny, worked a plumber, worked his ass off, and just always there to help, always kind and also gentle, had a you know quiet voice. But then when he played football with, uh, like, Bob from The Grateful Dead, Bob Weir, and all those guys, he was the... Yeah, he was part of the Thunderbirds. He was not quiet then. He was tough. But, uh, and I'd known Kathy and Jean. They were, and Jean Lannon. They were really good friends, so they became our good friends. In fact, Kathy started working for me with Utopia Grockware. I got pregnant. Oh, first, I think before I got pregnant, yeah, I introduced Kathy to Mike, and I told Mike, this is the girl you're going to marry. And they did. They got married. I just knew they'd be perfect together. They're still married. So I'm pregnant with Rebop. And we're doing shows at, on tour. I have a horrible birth. Almost died. I told that story before. Go home. And uh, Kathy really has to take over Utopia Grockware. I, I was running Utopia Grockware. But she had to take over. Because I'm just you know, trying to stay alive, and then as I get better, and take care of Rebop. Rebop was, um, oh God, he was so smart, and I 
told you before, he's talked. He, Todd's told stories about how he spoke very early and in full sentences by a you know, little over a year old. But he woke up every two and a half hours. Always, always, always every two and a half hours. So when Rebop was seven months old, Todd came in to my room and said, so you have two choices. Which would you like? A nanny or a divorce? I'm like, oh, uh, nanny? He goes, good choice. <laughs> I guess by never getting more, more sleep than two and a half hours, I might have been a little bitchy. I guess so. Was I, Kathy? <laughs> so when I told Kathy... Like, oh, God, okay, i got to get a nanny. She says, I have the perfect person for you. And I, I said, okay, well, tell me about her. Well, she's from Germany. Uh, she's lived here for a long time. I worked with her at uh, MacArthur Park, which is a really, really amazing, busy, rich restaurant in San Francisco. And uh, she's going to be perfect for the job. And I said, okay, well, has she watched kids before? Nope. Never changed a diaper. And I'm like, Kathy, this is my firstborn. You're telling me to hire someone that's never babysat, never watched a kid, never changed a diaper. And Kathy said, yes, I am. I said, well, what's she doing now? Well, she's on a road trip, so all over the America, but she's going to get back in about a month. And so you're asking me to, to hire somebody that I've never met. They're, uh, they're not even here. She's never changed a diaper, never... Okay, yeah, go ahead, Kathy, hire her. And Claudia became my nanny for Rebop. Then Claudia became my best friend. Then Claudia became my sister-in-law. Then Claudia became the mother of my nephew, Nico, and my niece, Vivian. And Vivian... Uh, and her boyfriend lived with us here in Kauai for almost a year, and they have their own place now. But it's her 21st birthday tomorrow. And I'm all excited. So you know what I did for her 21st birthday? So you can tell I had a beer. Let me have another sip. So for her 21st birthday, she always admired this, this little hutch that Todd had in Woodstock, and I still have it. It's like a little art deco bar. It looks just like um, you know, four foot tall dresser, but you pull, you pull the first cupboard drawer down and the top flips up and there are mirrors inside and it's a liquor cabinet. It's her 21st birthday. So her mom, Claudia, and my brother, her dad, John, my brother, uh, went in on it with me and Alex, you know, our, our Hanai son, Hanai means, um, not your birth son, but it's your son. Alex and his girlfriend, Abby, live with us. Alex helped build our house, so I asked him to help build this. I picked out the wood, and, and I'm very excited. So tomorrow is Vivian's 21st birthday, and we will give her a liquor cabinet from Aframoja Wood. It's, um, it's like teak, and I'm going to buff it all out with oil. I had to pick out even hinges. Let's see what else was I going to say. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, and the other part is I got everybody's liquor that they drink. So, like, Claudia's mom loves this certain rosé. Uh, of course, you know, Todd's 
um, his vodka <laughs> kettle wine, sorry, and have little tags on there. You know, Todd's favorite. Rex, is, Rex, of course, picked the most expensive one, George Clooney's tequila. Thanks, Rex. No, it was it was a perfect. It's perfect, perfect, perfect. So the cousin Rex picks out the tequila, and it says from Rex. Um, Randy's uh, Randy d- didn't get back to me, but I I seen him drink Jack Daniels. So even though he likes beer, I'm doing Jack Daniels. Uh, let's see what did I put? Oh, I picked a really um, Jonathan, her dad picked a really nice sipping rum. Um, oh, I gotta call Nico and see what he wants to put on there. But Rebops was the funniest. <laughs> so I said, Rebop, you want me to put uh, whiskey for you? You know, uh, put your tag for whiskey for Vivian. He goes, No, no, no. I want you to go to Costco and buy a box of Sammy. You know what Sammy is? S A M E. It looks like same, but it's in the supplements aisle. And uh, Todd first uh, turned me onto that. He takes it almost every night, and he's never had a hangover. It's hangover medicine. It's used, it was started out in Europe as a liver regenerator and a, um, a mood elevator, like for depressed people. It's a wonder drug, so I thought that was pretty fun. That he got, Rebop knows hangovers whenever he doesn't take his Sammy. Okay, so that's it. My Kathy stories, my Claudia stories. Um, now, Beth uh, made a recording. So I'm going to play Beth's recording. And it's, it's kind of sad, but it's brave. So let's play Beth's recording, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something Beth wrote. This is Beth Renicky, Beth Renicky again. I met you once, 2018, in St. Louis, the Utopia reunion, which I uh, was in the first few rows ecstatic. I, you've been a Utopia fan and a fan of your friend since I was 14. I am now 62. Long time. Um, but it is true. Todd got me through a very abusive childhood, childhood where I was molested. Um, my mother was and is an alcoholic. Not a nice person, very cruel person. And sent me to the neighbors uh, where the man molested me. The wife watched, would tell me to lie back down. Long time it went on. It was pretty, as you can imagine, repulsive. My father used to beat me, tell him I should have been aborted. He's deceased. Anyway, every time I listen to you talk about your father, I cry. I'm so envious and yet happy for you that you had, have such, had, I don't know if they're both still alive, wonderful parents. Um, let me just say that as much as I love Todd's music, of the two, you are the better half. <laughs> sorry, Todd. Oh, not really sorry. It's the truth. You have just such a beautiful spirit, a soul. I listen to the podcast. I smile. I laugh. I My face looks like a question mark. All the above. You're just an amazing human being and soul. And you just, the podcast are life-saving as I go through this cancer and have trouble getting through the day in pain and Holding down food, uh, Hawking. Hawking is one of my favorite Todd songs because I've been disabled for a while with MS and now this. Legally blind in one eye, also Sons of 1984. I was in New York in Central Park. What a day of camaraderie. I sang along with those words that Todd handed out to the audience and it was life-changing. As was Todd, as was 
and is this whole Runger Nation. These have been some of the most supportive people as I go through this journey to the end and another chapter as we leave this world. And um, I'm originally from Little Neck, New York. I am in Memphis, about to go home to New York for the end. We're really brave to record that. You know, Hawking. I love that song, too. I mean, I... I loved singing it live, but I couldn't hire myself to sing that song. I was um, production manager on that record, and so I hired everybody that we worked on um, on every song. So I hired the background vocals, and I didn't hire myself on that one because it was too so beautiful. I would get choked up too often, so I didn't sing that. You have a huge community, Beth. And we will hold you in our virtual arms. We will all meet in that lost horizon. Not, not just that just came out. It because it's that song's right. I mean, we're gonna go somewhere, but we'll all wherever we're gonna go. I have a feeling we're gonna all establish that Runger Nation in some other dimension, and not to make light of your um, your future which is ending, but we are thinking of you, and we know we'll see you. We know we'll see you. And I'm going to uh, read what you wrote at your mom's memorial, because I thought it was really beautiful. So Beth spoke after her mother died. Um, she spoke uh, this letter. For Mom from Beth, March 25th, 2017. One thing I had in common with my mother is that we were both savers. Savers of people, wanting to help others and seeing their potential, especially when they had trouble seeing it in themselves. And savers of memories through all the things in our lives. It was not about their material value at all. It was about how things become like bookmarks, holding a place in a great big book. Reminders of where you once were before you got to where you are now. Touchstones to help you see the progression of life. They allow you to go back and either reevaluate moments that left their mark or savor the wonderful feelings once again from a time or place long gone. While it's a given that people are most important in life, our things become like breadcrumbs left along life's journey, and when our journey is over... They tell a story to those who care to take time to thoughtfully put all the little pieces together. Mom always did love a challenging puzzle. Having a mother's love, acceptance, and guidance is so important in life. Not everyone gets the amount of this they need or deserve. My mother had so much love to give that beyond loving her family, she had an abundance in reserve to share with an incredible amount of people in her life. She was everyone's go-to person to talk over problems with. Mom always had a shoulder to cry on, or an alternative listening ear, or attentive, excuse me. She asked for so little, but she gave so very much of herself. She was a guiding light for me and so many others. I honestly don't know how I will navigate life in a world without my mother in it. When I think of my mom, I often think about us sitting together and sharing a hot cup of tea, 
Mom loved her tea and her teacups. It must be served very hot, mind you, not lukewarm, or she would send it right back. At home, she always drank red rose tea, and I know she really missed having the brand available when she moved down south. Whenever she traveled up north, she would always buy a box or two to take back home with her so she could always have some on hand. The other night, as I was cleaning out some things in my mom's kitchen pantry, way in the back shelf, I discovered an unopened box of red rose tea. It had clearly been around for a long time, as it was way past its best by date. She'd saved the box for a reason. Perhaps just... Mm, what you say? Perhaps just needy, need to know it was there. Perhaps it made her think of all those special moments once shared over tea. This particular brand of tea always came with a small porcelain figure in it. I proceed to open the box to see what was inside of this one. To my astonishment, I discovered a compass. What an incredibly special gift to find in this difficult moment. It was just like my mom to want to find a way to remind me that no matter how far away she may be, that she will always be my navigator to help guide me through my life until the day we meet again and share a cup of tea together. Thank you, my dear mom, for everything. I hope you felt all the love that you so generously gave to all of us. Well, Beth, that was absolutely beautiful. What do you want to no! do with that meat thawing on the counter? God, you scared the shit out of me! <laughs> God! Well, Beth, you were interrupted. <laughs> God, you scary. Uh, I forgot to make dinner. <laughs> she want me to put it in the fridge? Please. Okay. How'd your thing go? Was that funny enough? That was you were funny. How did your how did your thing go? I think I got it. You know, it's like think so. <laughs> <laughs> I know I got the onion thing. Don't but, sh they're gonna hear mine before they hear yours. But it's so late that I you know I'm not ready to assess the you, other thing. You mean it's so late at night? It's, yes. Okay. You know, it's like 10 o'clock, after 10 o'clock now. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll see you for Colbert. Okay. <laughs> well, Beth, was, was that a good send-off? God, he scared the crap out of me. Okay, um... Oh, um, I am gonna... I'm gonna read Tammy's story next, because we're kind of running out of time. I'm running out of time after getting scared shitless. Um, but I'm going to read Dode's story. Because it, it was just beautiful. I'm reading my life. I'm reading Tammy's right now. Okay, yeah, I'm going to read Tammy's next, next show. Okay. Just to be silly before we're serious, I'm always entertained with my adventures of crawling under the stage at the Von Trapp Family Lodge in Vermont. <laughs> crawling under the stage to check Dode's pulse. He felt like he was going to pass out and he didn't want anybody to worry about him. 
So he went out the back of the tent and crawled under the stage. And only skinny people could get way back where he was. <laughs> so we pulled him out. He was fine. But I'll never forget that, Dode. <laughs> but also, Dode is not just entertaining. He's very loving. And he's pure. And he is exactly who he presents. And that's hard to find. He's also a tried and true friend to anyone that he decides to make their make a friend. So if you meet Dode, I say you give him the time of day and listen to him. He's funny, goofy, silly, smart, kind. You'll have a friend for life if you if you extend your hand. So Dode says, Michelle, I just listened to your podcast titled Fidelity. I was moved deeply by your account of events that night in Woodstock and how you recovered from the situation that transpired. I'm inspired so much that I would like to share a brief story of how Todd's music changed my life for the better, forever. Given the current state of affairs our country is going through, I think it's pertinent. I was going through a breakup of my high school sweetheart when I met my wife 31 years in college. Oh, I met my wife 31 years while he was in college. She, as you know, is Filipino, and because I am from a small rural, rural town, quite a stretch racially. I, being white and from a very conservative Baptist upbringing, was taught that birds of a feather flock together. In other words, there are no interracial relationships where I grew up, and her being Catholic was also a very big issue. I found Todd's music through an acquaintance from Philadelphia and began to tune into his messages. I received my greatest motivation from the lyrics of Real Man and too many others to mention. Uh, so in short, Todd inspired me to be brave enough to ignore skin color and religious affiliation and look to the soul of the person I fell in love with and still love 31 years later. Cheryl has been the best thing that ever happened to me. That's why I wanted to meet Todd and thank him personally for helping me see the light. <laughs> I have two wonderful children. Yes, you do. Uh, and have spent many of the happiest times of my life hanging out with you and all the other Todd fans. I am looking forward to our country's future changes and can't wait to see everyone again someday. P.S. Don't forget, I get to play the role of Nikki, the hairdresser, when we make the movie about Todd's life. <laughs> <laughs> Love always, eternally grateful, Dode. <laughs> oh, that is good, Dode. That is really good. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. And Cheryl is an amazing woman. Yeah, you got lucky. Thank gosh you, uh, you decided to listen to that song, huh? <laughs> and um, I'm going to end up with, well, if I can do another story about Father's Day. I will. Before Father's Day. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see what comes comes through. But this, I'm going to play Mike Bender's um, audio. It is absolutely great. Uh, Mike Bender sent me a little uh, text about um, his... Well, basically I said, don't. I don't want to read this. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear the story, Mike. 
tell it to me, tell it to me. And maybe some of you have heard it, but I love this. And Mike tells you uh, everything you need to know. So, Joey, let's play Mike Bender's story. Share the story of my, quote, family Todd songs with you and your podcast listeners. So currently I have seven children and 13 grandchildren. At birth, each of these little humans were given two things. They were given a name and they were given a song. And this is the story of how that came to be. Of my seven children, my oldest is a boy and the next six are girls. When my then wife was pregnant with our first child, I started thinking about ways I could help my children through their life. And the idea occurred to me to give them a song, a song that they would come to know as, hey, that's my song. The songs were chosen by me before they were born. And since we didn't find out the sex of any of them prior to their birth, the songs were all chosen without regard to gender. It's a bit mind-blowing what has become of this little exercise. At the beginning, my intention was simply to give each child a song, something that might help them during their life and or something that we would have to talk about when they were older, you know, that kind of stuff. And that simple little idea and intention has become so much more. For example, each of my children who are married used their song in their wedding. The father-daughter dance for each of my daughters who is married was their song. Each of my children have the lyrics to their song calligraphied and framed and hanging in their house. When one of my daughters got married, the evening of the rehearsal dinner, the night before the wedding, she and her fiancé gave me a card expressing their thanks. My son-in-law-to-be made a special note in the card asking, quote, for just one more thing, could I please have a Todd song? And if so, and if so, how about Want of a Nail? After Peg and I got together, she learned about this tradition and asked for a Todd song. And I'll tell you, it's much easier to pick a, a song for a person while they are in utero. But Peg now has a song as well. When my oldest grandchild was born, I was a bit torn about what to do. Should I give my grandchildren songs too? After all, they're not my children. Nonetheless, I decided to pick out a song and have it ready when that first grandchild was born. I picked out a song and after, ba after the baby was born, I went to the hospital and my son-in-law at the time, the baby's dad said, Grandpa, you better have a song for this baby. And so the tradition continues. And recently, one of my nine-year-old granddaughters sent me some note cards. Note cards from an activity book designed to enhance the relationship between a grandparent and a grandchild. The note cards ask questions that we're both supposed to answer, uh, like what's your favorite memory, that kind of stuff. And one of the notes asked, what are your favorite tra traditions? And my granddaughter answered, one, getting a Todd song when I'm born, and two, staying up till 12 on New Year's. So that's how this tradition of family Todd songs came to be. 
The songs are picked based on what I am feeling at the time. Since all but two of these were chosen before the child was born, it was based it was not based on the personality of the child or anything like that, but more about what I was feeling and hoping for this new life to be. And it's funny because many of the kids and grandkids, in many of them, I see the songs playing out, no pun intended, in their personalities. So here are the names of everyone, the year of their birth, and their song. Uh, my son Michael was born in 1977. His song is Just One Victory. Courtney was born in 1978. A Dream Goes On Forever. Sarah was born in 1981. Love is the Answer. Monique was born in 1982. Sons of 1984. Emily was born in 1984. Her song is Drive. Alexandra was born in 1987. Her song is Real Man. Freddie, Alex's husband, who asked for that song the night before their wedding, his song is Want of a Nail. Jordan, my youngest, was born, she was born in 1990. Her song is Can't Stop Running. My grandchildren, Sophia, 2008. Her song is Healer, and interestingly enough, the more, the the when her mom her mom Courtney was going to the hospital, she saw, told me she saw a big snake uh, on the sidewalk while she was leaving her place to head to the hospital. I believe a, a snake is a symbol of a healer. Uh, Braden was born in 2010. His song is Compassion. Zoe was born in 2011. Her song is Shine. She's the one who said this is a favorite tradition of hers. Madeline was also born in 2011. Her song is Second Wind. Callum was born in 2013, Love in Action. Hazel was born in 2015, Worldwide Epiphany. Jackson was born in 2015. His song is Everybody. Uh, Dashiell was born in 2016, Global Nation. Charlie was also born in 2016. His song is Love Science. Riley was born in 2017. Her song is Let's Do This. Jocelyn was born in 2018. Her song is One World. Gemma was born in 2018. Her song is Healing Part 3. And Mazarine was born in 2018. Her song is International Feel and Le Feel Internationale. And Peg, uh, her song that I had to pick out for her is Hawking. And it was really tough to pick out, but anyone who knows Peg understands that this song fits her perfectly. So thank you, Michelle, for the opportunity to tell this story. Never in my wildest dreams did I think giving my children a Todd song would blossom into something so special. And certainly I never dreamed I'd be telling this story to you, Todd, and fans around the planet. But as the song tells us, all the children sing, and they certainly do. Mahalo. Top of yours, if I knew how to do that, I was laughing and crying. Ah, I'm helping them through life with a song. Ah, and the mute... She used her song in the wedding. Oh, my God. I was laughing so hard. 
I love the, your granddaughter's note cards. That, and that's a really good song for Peg, too. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that, Mike. And uh, I can't believe you came up with that and how cool it is. I mean, that your dad and your grandpa give you songs that, to live by. I'm so glad to know you, and I'm glad you found Todd's music, because uh, it sounds like you changed a lot of lives. And I'm going to, I guess I will finish my Father's Day song, my Father's Day song, my Father's Father Day story. I was just thinking about, you know, my dad was a policeman, and I consider myself Superman's daughter. And policemen, um, there are a lot of good policemen and some bad ones. And right now we're, we're really tearing everything apart to get rid of the bad ones. My own dad actually took early retirement. He retired at 60. He got pretty high up in the Oregon State Police affiliation. But... He was getting so much shit from the upper, upper brass because he was hiring minorities. He hired Latin American uh, policemen. He hired Chinese, Japanese, black, and worst of all, he hired women. Oh, they, they couldn't believe he was hiring women to be an Oregon State Police woman. And he got tired of the crap. So he took early retirement. All those people stayed and were amazing. You know, the people that dad hired. Diversity reigned in that area. You know, it's it sort of the outskirts of Portland by the time um, he finished his career. And I was really proud of that. But there's one day that really sticks out in my mind. And I, I've told that when you're a policeman... Everybody in your neighborhood also relies on you. Anything that happens, anything they hear, anything that frightens them, anything that they can't handle, they, they come over to our house and ask for um, Stan, Stan Gray. But there was one day I was, I think it was my senior year or my first year in college, And we heard an explosion down the block. And somebody came screaming towards our house. And my dad raced out. My dad was already out of the house the second he heard the explosion. And he, I could hear him like running down the block. And I think I was on the phone. I hung up. And what had happened was um, a little boy and a little girl were in the garage and the little boy accidentally knocked over the gasoline can for the mower. And the furnace was in the garage, and the, it lit the garage on fire. So the little boy was fine. He was in, for some reason, he was not burned at all. But the little girl who was, I think she was a, a year and a half old, and I heard my dad it's about five doors down. I heard my dad yell to the mom, get get me some wet sheets. Get them as fast as you can. 
And so I grabbed some sheets. I got them wet because I could hear him yell that he needed help. And I ran out of the house and the mom had already brought the wet sheets and my dad... Sorry. My dad was on the curb holding this little girl. He'd wrapped her in the wet sheets and he told mom, call 911. And as I'm running down the, the street, my dad had a voice that could stop anyone. And he just looked at me and I'm halfway there and he goes, no! I probably made the microphone explode, but his voice exploded and he's just pointed at me and said, no! I froze and I knew I'm not supposed to get any closer. So I just froze in the middle of the road. And the ambulance is coming. I can hear the sirens. And my dad's holding this little girl. And he's singing to her. He had a beautiful voice. And the ambulance pulled up. And my dad brings the little girl to the back of the ambulance and looks at you see him look at them and he shakes his head no, but he hands her and turned around and walked back and put his arm around me and we went home and didn't say anything. But seeing seeing him cradle her and sing was one of the most beautiful things I saw him do. And I saw him do a lot of good saw him save a lot of people and arrest people kindly. So I'm, I'm really proud to be Superman's daughter. Thanks, thanks for letting me get super emotional, you guys. Hope it was all right. Well, it is what it is. And thanks for being here for these podcasts. I appreciate it. I still want to hear your stories. Thanks, Joey, my producer, for talking me into doing a podcast. Thanks from my family just for being and letting me tell stories about you. And thanks, Todd, for not listening, except when he busted in right there. <laughs> Aloha, Aloha Nui Loa, and please stay safe. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for checking out the seventh episode, Superman's Daughter, of the Michelle Rundgren podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you give us a rating. Tell your friends and share it out there on all your favorite formats. Uh, check out the Facebook fan page, Michelle Rundgren Podcast. Uh, check out our Instagram, same name. Check out the email or the voicemail where you can send questions. The email is michellerungren at gmail.com or 808-431-4881. Send us a message and we will get it on the podcast. Make sure you tune in to Todd's broadcast on June 22nd, coming up at 6 p.m. Pacific time. He's going to be doing a live uh, broadcast. Check it out on locationlive.com check that out pay the money he deserves it check out what he's got going on 
check us out. You still got to June 30th to get a t-shirt from Give Kawhi Hope. Link and everything is in the notes for the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. You can check me out. Uh, Kawhi Today is the podcast. And everything else is in the show notes. Aloha. Happy Father's Day. Thank you.